Welcome, welcome, welcome to Zion. Good to see everybody today. Uh, who has enjoyed summer, even though it's not summer yet? There you go. I haven't, just by the way. I am very much a spring and fall kind of guy. I'm a little sad that uh, spring just passes by, but I'm hoping this week, you know, we get some spring in our lives. Uh, but for the first time, I'm experiencing spring allergies, uh, so that is, the, that is not the fun part of spring that I never experienced before. Heather and I and the kids were just walking uh, to 86th Street yesterday on 4th Avenue, and we hit a block where all of us just started sneezing and rubbing our eyes, and my throat was tightening up, and I'm just like, the devil is here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was for all of you that came last week. Blaming the devil for all our problems. All right. Today, uh, we are in the next chapter. Last week, we went over Deuteronomy 20. Today, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 21. We're talking about a very important, very weighty, uh, awesome topic. We're talking about the atonement. Talking this big word that uh, unless you're an Old Testament aficionado, you have probably never heard this word before. Uh, and that's okay. We're going to go over it today, but we're going to talk about its importance because this word has a lot of weight in Scripture and it has a lot of importance in Scripture. And we have been in a series going through Deuteronomy, and the point of this series is to learn about the character of God. A lot of people think um, incorrectly that God has changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as we're reading this, I hope you're learning that God is the same. His character is the same, the, the same understanding we have of God, the same thing that God desires in the Old Testament, the same grace, the same mercy, the same love, the same judgment, all the same holiness, the same righteousness, all of these things about God has not changed uh, from the beginning of time to today. What has changed is his relationship with us and what we call a covenant that we have with him. And so we're going to go through that again today as we talk about the atonement. So you can read along with me on the screens as we read from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 1 to 9. Moses is speaking to the people of Israel before they enter the promised land, and this is what he says. If in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess, someone is found slain, lying in the open country, and it is not known who killed him, then your elders and your judges shall come out, and they shall measure the distance to the surrounding cities. And the elders of that city, of the city that is nearest to the slain man, shall take a heifer that has never been worked and that has not pulled in a yoke. A heifer is a young female cow. I only know that word as an insult that we would tell people <laughs> growing up. <laughs> Verse four it says, "And the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley." With the running water, which is neither plowed nor sown, and shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their word, every dispute and every assault shall be settled. And the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall testify... Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it shed. Accept atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not set the guilt of the innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel. 
so that their blood guilt be atoned for. So you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. All right, so let's talk about what is happening here. Moses is laying down a law for unsolved murders. So the the last few chapters actually have a lot to do with murder and how to deal with murder in the society. Uh, As we said that Moses is expounding on the Ten Commandments throughout all of Deuteronomy and explaining how that works out in practical everyday life. And so the practical law that he is laying down is what happens if you find someone who was killed, but you cannot find the murderer. What has to be done? Well, the first thing that they have to do is they have to figure out which city the murdered person died closest to, where they find this person's body. And so they would call the elders of the surrounding cities and they would measure the distance to each city. And the city that was closest to the murder was the city that had to take on the responsibility of atoning for this murder. And so what does atoning mean? Simply atone, to atone for something means this. It means to give payment for the wrong that was done. So the city that was closest to this murdered innocent person would have to atone or pay for the murder that was found basically on their property because it was closest to them. It was their responsibilities. And then when the elders do this, when they... Uh, atone for this death, the elders come together and they recite this creed as a prayer to God. And they say, our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it shed, except atonement, O Lord. For your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not set the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel, so that their blood guilt be atoned for this, be atoned for So the elders are killing this young female cow. Can't say heifer anymore, even though it's in my notes everywhere today. I had to ruin it right in the beginning. The elders kill this cow to pay for the murder of the innocent. And what they are doing is they are atoning for the murder. They are paying for this murder so that the guilt and the payment, the price of the murder is paid for through this cow. And so they break the neck of the cow to symbolize judgment being pronounced. And since they don't know who killed, but justice has to be served, they have to kill this cow. So the question arises, why must payment be made for this sin? Why must payment be made for this sin? Uh, It's interesting because I think in our society, if they're, what we do, if there is a murder that is unsolved, it basically goes in the cold cases. This is an unsolved murder. Nothing is done until you find out who is guilty for this specific crime. But that does not work in the system of justice for God. That is how we understand justice, but that is not how God understands justice. And so we have to actually go back all the way to Genesis chapter 2 to understand why this has to be done. Why is it that this cow must die in this way to atone or pay for or take the judgment upon itself for this murder? So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. It says here, this is the very beginning of the Bible, right after uh, humankind was created and 
God gives the first rules to the first people, Adam and Eve. And he says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. From the very beginning that God lays down the very first law, the very first commandment, he puts a price on sin. God puts a price on sin. And the price that he puts on sin is this, death. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul affirms what this price is. Paul says, the wages of sin are death. So we have to understand that. In God's justice system, there is only one payment for sin. There is only one payment for rebellion against God. There is only one payment for offending his holiness and going against his righteousness. And that payment is simply death. It is what he established from the very beginning of time with humankind. Someone or something must pay For the death of the innocent person in Deuteronomy chapter 21. This price is non-negotiable. It must be paid. To wipe the people, to wipe the land, to wipe the city clean of the blood guilt of this sin that was committed, this murder. They have to substitute payment with this cow to stand in the place of the murderer and take the punishment that was meant for the one who committed this murder. Something that we have to understand about God is this. Sin never goes unpunished. Sin never goes unpunished. Now, uh, for some of us right now, that is a dreadful statement to hear. Good. It's good. But a lot of times in our understanding of God, we forget this about him. And uh, maybe it will become clearer why later we forget this about him. But it's something that we should not forget. From the very beginning of humankind, God laid down this standard. And it has always been since that all sin must be atoned for. All sin must be paid for. It never goes unpunished. The Jews actually practice this idea of atonement regularly. Uh, In Leviticus 16, we're not going to read it, it's a long chapter, and uh, it's already, you know, a little toasty enough in here, I don't need anybody falling asleep that quickly. Leviticus 16 lays down the law that once a year, as a nation, the nation of Israel would actually come together and they would practice sacrificing animals for the atonement of the entire nation. And this was to kind of get rid of the guilt of the sins that they had committed as a nation, even some of the sins that they didn't under that they didn't know that they did. There were sacrifices that you did as a nation and individually to cover the sins that you don't even know that you committed. And so once a year God laid down a practice that as a nation the priests would atone for the sins of the nation through sacrifice because all sin had to go had to be atoned for and that was through the slaughtering of animals. And 
If we're wondering why, it's because of the holiness and the righteousness of God. God is holy and he is righteous and he does not tolerate sin amongst him. It's just, it's not there. There is only justice in the presence of God. And so sin that is undealt with, sin that is unpaid for, sin that is not atoned for is not allowed to coincide with his holiness. It does not work. But the thing about this system that was set up in the Old Testament is that the blood of animals could never fully satisfy the wrath of God. The blood of animals could not do the job. They just, it was not a system that continually covered mankind for all that it did for all time. The system needed continual sacrifices. There needed to constantly be new blood that was shed from the animals on an ongoing basis because the animals were not good enough to cover the sins of past, present, and future. And so the system that they had of sacrifice was to continually atone for what they had done previously. But... If we know anything about humans and we know anything about God's people, it's this. God's people keep sinning. We are imperfect and we continue to sin. We continue to rebel against God. Uh, We continue to do things. I mean, if, if you have followed God for one day, you understand this concept that you are not perfect. You are not perfect. And God understands that. And so the system... It needed an update. It needed something that would truly work to truly cover and atone for the sins of God's people. Yet, this system of sacrifice was not enough. In Hebrews 9, verse 13 to 14, it says this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Amen. For every one of your sins and for every one of my sins, atonement today still needed to be paid for. Yet we do not go to the temple and slaughter heifers and goats and calves and all the things that they did. But yet we still have to understand that our sins have consequences. Our sins have a consequence. And their consequence, what we need to realize in the new covenant was realized on the cross. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. That, yes, the animals, if if they could atone for the little bit that they did, how much more is the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross? See, what happened was, when God makes a new covenant with his people, he makes a perfect covenant, a better covenant with his people, and he says... All of the sacrifices, all of the atonement, all of the judgment, all of the wrath is going to come upon one sacrifice. And this sacrifice will be a perfect, spotless lamb, Jesus is called in the Bible. 
And upon his shoulders will the consequence for my sin and your sin fall. See, Jesus had to atone or had to pay for our sin. And he had to pay the price. And what was that price? That price was death. He had to be cursed by hanging on a tree. And what is amazing about Jesus is when he did this, he says, this payment for your sins, the consequence for your sins, death, eternal damnation, if you, all you do is believe in me and my sacrifice and who I am and follow me, then the payment that I have paid will now be charged to your account. So if you look at the sins of your life, I think of the man that died with Jesus on the cross. There was one, Jesus had two, two people that died next to him, both convicted of their crimes and both killed for their crimes. One person looked at Jesus and mocked him. Another person looked at him and he said he wanted to be with him, that he believed him. And Jesus told that guy, he said, you're going to be in heaven with me tonight. And just imagine that because there's something about that that offends the sensitivities of people. That here's a man who is dying you think justly for the crimes that he has committed and he is on his very last breath before he dies and he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I believe in you. And what does Jesus do? He basically says, your sins are forgiven. The price is paid. See, for religious people, sometimes we think, I atone for my sin. I have paid my penance. It's an old word. That I, I have gone to church. I have said my prayers. I have kissed my beads. And now because of that, I am on my works able to enter in to eternal life. I'm able to be saved. I'm able to enter into the Holy of Holies. I have eternal life and salvation. But brother and sister, let me tell you, coming to church Reading your Bible and praying your prayers is not payment for your sin. Payment for your sin is eternal death. And so you do not want to pay for your sin. And sometimes when we see people receive salvation or we see God working in their life, we, we yo, God, what's up with that? I put in my time I've done my thing, and look at what you're doing in that person's life. That is the sin of self-righteousness. Of saying, I have what it takes, and I have enough to atone for and pay for my own sin. That I have enough inside of myself, enough goodness in me, enough perfection in me, that I am blameless and spotless enough. 
that I can atone for the wrath that was dealt for me. But that is not how it works. See, there is only one person that could have atoned for our sin. There is only one person that was good enough, that was perfect, that was great enough, and that was powerful enough that the wrath of God, that the payment that this person made would be enough to satisfy the judgment and the justice of God. There's four effects that I want to talk through really quickly of the atonement because there's we have to understand what Jesus has done for us. A lot of times we go through church life and all we hear about is the grace of God and the love of God, but we never understand the holiness of God enough to understand the payment that Jesus made for us. And we take it for granted what he has done. And that's what happens when we continue in our sin and we don't think of anything of it and we say, well, I'll just repent of it later. It's okay. We don't understand what our sin has done. See, the effects of the atonement in our life and for God were satisfaction, reconciliation, redemption, and substitution. What the atonement did is it Satisfied, Jesus' death satisfied the wrath of God, who in his holiness could not leave sin without justice. The atonement appeased God's wrath and justice for sin. God had laid down this law from the very beginning, and God deeply cares about justice. There is consequence for our sin, but he also loves us, and he deeply cares for his creation. And he could have walked away and said, forget these people. They have walked away from me. They have turned their back on me. They have done so much against me, even though I've given them chance and chance and chance. And he wants relationship with us, yet his justice and his wrath had to be satisfied. He could not turn a blind eye to our sin. And Jesus' payment, his atonement for us, does that. We experience reconciliation because of the atonement. In Romans 5.10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I love how this verse starts off. It says, while we were enemies. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. See, God did not come back for your perfection. He didn't come back for your righteousness. In fact, we see Jesus constantly walking away from the self-proclaimed righteous in the Gospels. Constantly saying he came back for the sick, the good news for the poor. That the ones who are last really, truly were first. 
God did not come for your perfection. He reconciled us in our state of enemy. He reconciled us to himself while we were still at war with him. The misnomer that, man, I need to have it all together in order for me to have a relationship with God cannot be farther from the truth. See, God is the one that puts us all together. And every time we try to keep putting it all together ourselves, we're just going to look like a Picasso painting. It's just not going to work out. We are going to break ourselves. We're going to mismatch. We're a puzzle that is missing pieces and putting them in the wrong slots, but thinking that we have it. God is the only one that can put us together. And so often, we don't understand that he reconciled us while we were enemies with him. That when we come to church, he's not going to strike you with lightning. That when we come to church, he's not looking to attack you. He's not looking to condemn you. What he is doing is he died on the cross and he atoned so that we can be reconciled with him. So that we can be together with him again. So that he can adopt us back into his family and say, you are mine. You are my children. You are my citizen of my kingdom. I don't want you far. I want you close to me. I want you to experience my love and my mercy and my grace. And Jesus came and atoned and he paid that price so that we can be reconciled with God. And when we are saying that we cannot be in relationship with God, we are saying that Jesus' atonement was not enough. We are saying that the payment of Jesus Christ could not Cover my sins. The atonement made us walk in redemption. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed or redeemed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with what? The precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. There is a reason why Jesus is called the Lamb of God and he is so often portrayed as this spotless lamb because he paid that price and his blood was shed and he was slaughtered. Why? Because his atonement redeemed us. It bought us back into his possession like it was supposed to be from the very beginning. See, our sin took us away from God. And because of his justice, because of his wrath, because of his holiness, and because of his righteousness, there had to be consequence for that. But he did not just leave us and say, you know what, forget you. Instead, what he did was he purchased us back. And he purchased us back by himself being the one that would make that payment. This is how it was supposed to be from the very beginning, that we are his. 
You know, there's a saying, bought with a price. And that is redemption. We were bought with a price. The sin that we commit, the things that we do that offend his holiness, that offend his justice, they are not just things that we do and just think, oh, you know, the, the grace. There was a price for our sin. Blood was spilt for the sin that we commit and think nothing of every single day. He was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. Scripture says, and substitution. Second Corinthians two twenty one has to be one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says, "For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God." He took our place. One who was not sin. He became sin and took the punishment that we might become the righteousness of God. That was supposed to be us. That was supposed to be me and you on that cross that was atoning, that was paying for what we have done. But instead, in his love and his mercy and kindness towards us, he substituted our place. And he who knew no sin became sin so that me and you might become the righteousness of God. When we read about the atonement in the Old Testament, it should bring us to our knees to remember that someone else paid for our sin. When we read about that young cow whose neck was broken for murder, something inside of us should say, Lord, that should have been me. Because Jesus said, all who have hated in their heart have broken the commandment, you shall not murder. Your murder and my murder was not unsolved. It is known. It's not even a mystery. No one had to call the city elders and start doing their investigation of who had to pay for this. I know who I've hated. God knows who I've hated. And yet, he still paid the price and stood in that place. His side was pierced. His body was beaten and broken. His hands and feet were nailed to a cross. His brow had thorns jammed into them, so it says that he was unrecognizable. And his naked body was hung to symbolize a curse for all to see. Every day, we should remember, that should have been me. This is what I deserve. And sometimes I've run out of, I I think I've run out of things to praise God about. 
But really, when you understand the atonement, when you understand what Jesus has done, you realize that you have never run out of something to praise your God about. You realize that every day that you wake up and you should have been the one who was slain for your sin, that the wrath of God should have fallen upon your shoulders, that you should bear the weight of your own sin and iniquity. And when you realize that that price was paid, that your sin has been atoned for, then you should never run out of something to praise your God about. Every morning when you wake up, every night before you go to sleep, there should be something that brings you to your knees that says, God, thank you so much for dying on that cross, for shedding your blood to cover my sins that I may become your righteousness, even though I don't deserve it, even though there's nothing in me that is good. Father, thank you for taking my place on that cross. Church, can we be a church that never runs out of something to praise Jesus about. That every day we can say, thank you, God, for the miracle of salvation in my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price. You took my place so that I did not have to be on that cross. Can we be a church that realizes the depth of the consequences of our sin and stops thinking that it was nothing, that there was no consequence, but realize that we put him there to pay for the things that we should have paid for and then praise him that he loved us enough, he was kind enough, he was merciful enough to say, I will take your place. My justice will be served. My wrath will be served. My holiness will be satisfied. And you will still be with me. That is what you call, for us, a win-win scenario. That when you truly believe that Jesus has died on that cross for you and that he rose from the dead conquering death and sin breaking its power over our life that then we can stand up and say, Jesus, I worship you and never again will there never be praise on my lips. But you have died and you have taken that place. I pray the weight of the atonement settles on our hearts today. That the weight and the depth of his love that we cannot be separated that height nor depth nor east for west nor night or day nothing can separate us from the love of God that, that we would understand the price that he paid for the deep love he has for you and for me that it was not willy nilly it didn't just appear out of nowhere but there was sacrifice and there was pain and there was payment for that love that it wasn't just something that he just decided. But his love comes at a cost to him. And Father, whatever you want, just like that song said, with everything. And you, you left an example for me that you laid down your life. And so what can I give you in return? Nothing, but I will give you all. Because that's what you deserve for what you've done. I'm going to invite us to stand.
thank you, God, that the wrath, our sin, that we deserved has not fallen upon our heads. But our belief in you, our belief that instead it has fallen on Jesus and that he paid that price, today gives us freedom. Today allows us to walk in your righteousness and your holiness and in your purity in a way that humankind has never experienced before your son has walked the earth. Thank you, God, that you did not give us what we deserve, but instead your deep love paid that price for us. Let us worship God together.